What we see in our society today is people can be so impressed and enamored with those who do have fame, who are known, who have a name for themselves, prestige or prominence, whatever it might be. We, we look up to those who excel in human wisdom. And so many people aspire to be like them, especially our young people. And we like to glory in those of importance. And the message of verses 18 through 25 is that God is not impressed with man's wisdom. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. We do read, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh shall glory in his presence. Verse 30 we read, But to him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. Now, as we saw last week, when we began to, to, to look at verse 10 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 10, Paul began to address some of the problems that are taking place in the church of Corinth. Now, as we go through this letter, we're going to see that there are a number of problems that are plaguing the church, and Paul's bringing correction to them. So this is a corrective letter, as we have discussed So in verse 10, Paul begins to talk about how that he knows that as he has heard from the household of Chloe, Chloe and her family, being from the city of Corinth, would travel over to Ephesus where Paul was on his third missionary journey. He had made Ephesus his base of operation, and in the first part of his ministry there in Ephesus, he gets word, and he gets word that there's still problems that had plagued the church at Corinth. Paul had initially written a letter to them. We don't have that letter. But as he wrote to them, he, they would write back to him and they would ask him questions. And the household of Chloe would, you know, begin to tell Paul some of the problems that were still happening in the church. And the very first thing that Paul addresses in those problems is the problem of division. And so he says, I have heard from the household of Chloe that there's divisions among you, there's contentions. And so I believe that the reason that Paul is addressing the contentions and the divisions that were taking place in the church of Corinth because he knows how much hurt and harm it can bring to the body of Christ. When there is quarreling, when there is contentions, when there is division that has taken place. And the way that that division was being played out in the church of Corinth was that there are those who are saying, well, I'm of Paul, and others that were saying, I'm of Apollos. And then this group over here was saying, I'm of Cephas, and they were separating themselves. And they were arguing, and they were, again, had contentions among themselves. And what was happening is that people were taking pride in following the right leader. 
They wanted to follow that person that to them had the, the most persuasive words of wisdom, perhaps, who perhaps had the greatest oratory skills or had prestige or prominence or great esteem by those in Corinth. And so Paul, who was a scholar himself, he was a very brilliant man. He was tutored by Gamaliel, as we know historically. Now, Gamaliel, we read about him in Acts chapter 4. He today, if you talk to, to anyone in Judaism that knows about their history or Orthodox Jews, they will recognize that name, Gamaliel, from 2,000 years ago, and they will con still consider him one of the greatest teachers of the law. Matter of fact, he was called the beauty of the law because of his uh, knowledge of the law and his um, you know, uh, academics and study and all of this. Well, we know historically that Gamaliel, who in Acts chapter 4 would give counsel there to the religious council that was wondering, what do we do with Peter and John and the apostles that are spreading the name of Jesus throughout Jerusalem? Gamaliel said, listen, guys, that if this is of God, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, it's going to go away and it's going to fade out. So Gamaliel tutored Paul when Paul was growing up. So Paul was a great scholar himself. He could debate with uh, the best of them. And so there are those who were saying, well, we're of Paul. And then there are others that were saying, well, we're of uh, Apollos, that great uh, one of oratory skill, as the scripture says, that he was one that uh, was very intelligent. Uh, he, uh, there was others that were saying, well, we're of Cephas, one of the original apostles. And so we know that there was that separation, that quarreling, that, that gathering around a man that was taking place. Now, when Paul came into Corinth on his second missionary journey, he came with a single and focused but very simple and powerful message of Christ crucified. He has been saying that I didn't come with persuasiveness of human wisdom. He wasn't trying to gather a following around himself. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to attract people with his method of speech. None of that was Paul's purpose. But rather, he was seeking to make the message primary, not the messenger. So he came preaching the wisdom of God. And so Paul, again, he, he's talking about the difference between the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. Now, as we discussed that last week, and I'm going to continue to, don't think that Paul was against learning. He wasn't. He wasn't against knowledge or, or intellect. He isn't against any of those things. Matter of fact, he would write to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that, Timothy, you be diligent to present yourself to prove to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, Timothy, you be diligent. You be a studier of God's word. And you be one that you rightly divide the word of truth. I think one of the problems and one of the trends that we see in the church at large today is that more and more pastors and teachers behind a pulpit are not diligent in studying the word of God. Matter of fact, they get off on a lot of other tangents and and controversial issues and things like that. And so Timothy was told, you be a studier of God's word. And of course, Peter would write in his epistle that you be ready to give a reasonable uh, answer for the hope that is within you. So Paul isn't against learning the scriptures and being one that is a student of the scriptures. Not at all. There was a quote that I found. I, I remember reading about how the late John Wesley, who was a great church leader, 
that someone came to John Wesley and said, God doesn't need your book learning and fancy education. And Wesley responded by saying, God doesn't need your ignorance either. But rather, what Paul was, has been saying is that man or human wisdom and understanding, that is man's philosophy and reasoning, contributes nothing to the gospel. And true wisdom is found in God. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, as Proverbs declares. And as we saw in Colossians chapter 2 recently, that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That our glory is in the Lord, it's not in a man and following after a man. So Paul writes, as we read in verse 26, we'll read it again. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So you can look around today, and, and I think for us in this room, that, that none of us that were not in society or America's who's who. Matter of fact, I think we can say that we're in who's she and who's he category. We don't have prominence and a name for ourselves like we see in those who do have prominence. And so the apostle writes that there are not many. He did not say that there are none or that there are not any, but he says there are not many. People of influence, people of power and prestige that are called. And I believe that's true today. As we look at our society and, and we look at our nation, a majority of those who do have a name, who have prominence, who have power, uh, whether they're politicians or whether they're entertainers from Hollywood or sports stars, whatever it might be, there are some who are Christians, but not many, are there? There are not many that have surrendered themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But what we see in our society today is people can be so impressed and enamored with those who do have fame, who are known, who have a name for themselves, prestige or prominence, whatever it might be. We, we look up to those who excel in human wisdom. And so many people aspire to be like them, especially our young people. And we like to glory in those of importance. And the message of verses 18 through 25 is that God is not impressed with man's wisdom. And God is not impressed with man's status in the world. One of the good things about getting older, that is getting older in age, but also getting older in the Lord, is I see the fruit of man's wisdom and philosophies and thoughts and ideas every single day. And I see what it does to those of status. And those of status who follow that, and I see the fruit of their lives, and a lot of them can eat, lead lives that are uh, very um, sad or, or it can be just crazy in their lives. Very bizarre lifestyles, and we all see it, don't we? And it's very difficult for them to handle the fame and, and the fortunes and all of this. And so we see the fruit of that, of those who live apart from Jesus Christ. And what it does is it screams at us if we just open up our ears that we all need Jesus Christ and the message of the cross because he is our only hope. So Paul writes, know this, Corinthians, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And not many wise or noble or mighty are called. Why? Because a lot of times there's pride. There's a mentality of those of, of fame or who really 
excel and or rely on their own wisdom and intellect. There's a mentality of I don't need God and are thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. It would be Jesus that would say, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but yet you lose your own soul? So the Corinthians had that Greek mindset that, that I've been talking to you about, that Greek mindset of, of wisdom and knowledge and intellect and oratory skill and presentation and all that. That was very important 2,000 years ago to the Greek mind and to the Greek culture and to the Corinthians. And so they would look for those who had persuasive words and great oratory skills and, and excelled in those things of prestige and prominence. That's, that's what they really looked for. It is interesting when you look at the four Gospels that the four Gospels will have different emphasis. That is, the Gospel of John, for example, was written for everyone to show us that Jesus is deity, that he is truly the Son of God. When you look at Matthew's gospel, for example, Matthew's gospel was written to show us that Jesus is the king of kings. And that's why when you go through Matthew's gospel, there's a lot of Old Testament quotes showing that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of the Old Testament. So it was written, you know, primarily for the Jewish audience because they were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. We know that Mark's gospel was to show us that Jesus was the perfect servant. And so in there, there's an emphasis that Jesus came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. When you go to Luke's gospel, Luke being a Gentile. Now, sometimes people who are young in the Lord think that Luke was one of the apostles. He wasn't. He wrote the book of Acts. He wrote Luke's gospel. He was a Gentile. So he writes his gospel with the emphasis that Jesus was the perfect man. He was fully God. He's fully man. And for the Greek mind, for those who were looking for the perfect man, you want to model yourself? After the perfect man, that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that ever came that was perfect. But that was Luke's emphasis. And so they were looking for that. The perfect you know, man, the, 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 the physical appearance, mentally, intellectually, that's what they were really into. And then verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing those things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. This is a life verse for me. This is a great encouragement to me, and I hope it is to all of us. God has chosen the foolish and the weak things of the world. He has chosen and he uses those who are nobodies, those who are nothings, those who are no ones in the world's view. And I am so thankful for that. These verses, verses 27 through 29, are the best explanation that I can give to you for me being a pastor here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. Now there was a time when I was after I got saved and I was growing in the Lord and I was just growing in God's Word and I really had a desire to serve the Lord. And the Lord was putting those things on my heart. And one of my desires is I just really desired to teach the Word of God. But I thought that the Lord could never, never use me in that way. Absolutely no way. And I had that desire and I just kept growing in the Word of God and just kept studying the Scriptures and stuff. 20 years ago, if you would have told me that I would be standing here this morning as the pastor of this church, I would have thought absolutely impossible, no way. 
there is no way that that's going to take place. And the people that knew me at that time, they would have said the same thing. But it's through God's incredible grace and it's working in my life that I stand here. And it's the same with you. That the Lord desires to just pour out His incredible grace to you and His enabling you and calling you to whatever it is that He's called you to do. The opportunities that He's given to you to minister to others. To be the man or woman of God that He wants you to be. It's Him working through you and in you. Listen, if you're here and you're thinking, God can never use me. There's good news in these verses. That he chooses the weak and the foolish things to put down the wise and the mighty. When I was a kid growing up in elementary school, my brother John, most of you know that we're twins, that, that John and I would go through years of speech therapy. And you've got to understand that when in the late 60s, if you could have a speech therapist come into a school, that was a, a, a great opportunity. It wasn't always available back in those days. And so we would go through those years. We'd go in the back room, back in the auditorium, and she would work with us for an hour, a couple hours. Uh, you know, I can't remember, a couple times a month or something. We went through that for a few years, and we had a hard time saying, TH is the. It would come out, uh. Thursday, Thursday. And so we had to work on that, and S's and all of that. And matter of fact, people couldn't understand us that they would say to us, and the kids would say to John and I, that you guys have your own language because they couldn't understand a word that we were saying. So that was a great help, and we would grow up in, with that. And, and as high school came, of course, you know, going through those things, it got better and things like that. But I remember taking those tests, you know, um, you remember, I don't know if they still do it today. You take those t tests, those aptitude tests, and what your best bet forward to do in life and maybe this is the direction you should go and you know maybe go in social work or maybe in the medical field when I got mine back it said that I should be a milkman now there's and and listen there's nothing wrong with being a milkman I'm not putting that down at all but that's you know what it said that you should be a milkman but one of the things that I thought never ever is that I would be able to speak in public that would never happen. And I didn't really have a desire for that. Matter of fact, they've taken surveys, and the number one fear in people is on the list of the fears people have is speaking in public. Number three is dying. So people would rather die than to speak in public, is what that survey said. So that's the way it was. And so after college and, and um, you know, after you know, just coming to the Lord and studying the Scriptures, the small Calvary Chapel down in Colorado Springs, when it first started, I was going, I was always there when the doors were open, and, and I was always there, and um, every service, just growing, doing my own studies. I would devour tapes, listening to Pastor Chuck, listening to some of the other Calvary Chapel teachers and stuff, and I remember that it was small. The church is about 4,000 people now. But I remember Pastor Brian, when he first came to pastor the church, and then he was going to take a little time off, he said, you want to do a Wednesday night study for me? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll try it, I'll do it. And, and I remember teaching out Psalm 22. I still have the tape upstairs in a drawer, hidden away. <laughs> and I remember that I, I just, I was so afraid, I just about made myself sick. 
And I remember agonizing it and going over it and going over it. Well, I gave that teaching, and I thought it went pretty well. I thought, that went okay. But there was a man in the fellowship. He, he was a very intelligent man. He was, he was a nice man. As a matter of fact, he, he was, ended up being a friend of mine. He had a Ph.D. In, in education and worked for the school district. And he was one day, he loved the Lord, but he had a personality that he was brutally honest. And I remember about a month or two after I taught that first lesson that he came to me and he said, you know what, when you spoke on that lesson, it was the first time that he had been to that church, he said, I couldn't understand a word you said. I couldn't understand anything. And he was trying to be nice about it, but I remember hearing that, and I thought I was going to die. I, I really did. I thought, no way will I ever, ever do that again. And that was truly my thought, and that was my determination. Well, it would be some months later that, that Brian said, you know, would you come teach for me again? I'm going to be gone on a Wednesday night or whatever it, it might have been. And I wanted to say no, and I wanted to say, didn't you listen to, you know, the first time I taught? and. But I was too embarrassed to. And so he asked me, and, you know, I didn't want to say no and let him down. And it was, it was a little bit like Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Remember Jeremiah in chapter 20, he said, I'm not going to speak anymore. Now, when he said that, he was frustrated with the people. When I said that, I was frustrated with myself. But Jeremiah went on to say, but the word of the Lord burned within me in my heart and it was in my bones, and I was weary of holding it in and holding it back, and I could not. And that's the way I was, so I did it again. And then a few months later, did it another time. My point is, as I stand here today before you as a testimony of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. And if you ever come to the point of your life where you think, I can't be used to the Lord because I'm not eloquent enough of a speaker, I'm not smart enough, I'm not important enough, if you think that, enough, okay? Because God comes along now and he says, understand this that I use the weak and foolish things of the world. And one thing that I have learned over the years of ministry is this, that you can never be too small to be used to the Lord. But I have learned also that you can be too big. That is, too big for your own good. To think that I can rely on my own intellect, my own abilities, my own you know, togetherness, whatever it might be. And God desires to use you and whatever He's called you to do in the gifts He's given you, and again, where He has placed you, an opportunity He's given to you. He's doing the work in you. That when people see that, they say, there's nothing special about them, but look what God is doing, and then He gets the glory. And none of us have any reason to glory in and of ourselves. It is Him that gets the glory. And you might be here thinking, all I want to do is be able to, to grow in being a, the man or the husband or the father that he's called me to be, or the woman of God he wants me to be, or the wife and the mother, that, again, it's a work that he does in you and through you. In your life, in every area of your life, in the ministry that he has for you. And then people look at us foolish and weak individuals that God is using, and again, he gets the glory. I love Acts chapter 4. The, the apostles, after the, the, 
the church is born on the day of Pentecost and people are getting saved in Jerusalem by the thousands. And after that healing of Peter and John, of the lame man there at the temple, they arrest Peter and John. They bring him before that religious council called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, made up of the religious elite there in the nation of Israel, made up of, of Sadducees and Pharisees, 70 members. And they told Peter and John, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they said, no. If we have a choice between obeying God and man, we're going to obey God. And how can we not talk and speak about the things that we have heard and seen? We're going to speak the name of Jesus. They said, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine with the name of Jesus. And they would respond by saying, there is no other salvation, no other name under heaven given among men by we must be saved. And when it the Sanhedrin council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Acts chapter 4. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again? 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.